Well, good morning. Oh boy, this place fills out. This is great. It's super to be here this morning, and uh, thanks Pastor Greg and uh, Pastor Jeff for allowing me to come this morning. Um, you know, it's great to find uh, people you know, and um, I was looking on your missions, uh, global missions card here, and uh, Brad and Sarah Herbst. How many of you know, know who they are? They're your missionaries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're greatly beloved here, um, and you're all visiting this morning. That's great. Uh, we're, we're good friends, and uh, that was cool. And then I came up before the service and introduced myself to the worship team, and Seth, uh, we started talking. We had some similarities, and then I found out, like, his folks are, like, really good friends of mine. So probably if I hang around long enough, I'll find I'm related or know every one of you to some degree. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm actually, uh, it's great to be here, um, but true confession, I'm in Southern Oregon to uh, promote um, perspectives. And uh, the course is Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. How many of you have ever heard of that course? Perspectives on the, okay. So a few more people that know Brad and Sarah actually know Perspectives. And uh, anybody here ever taken that course? Well, it's a 15-week uh, class that overviews, they don't call it missions, they call it the World Christian Movement. The World Christian Movement is the uh, largest and, and most amazing uh, movement ever known to man, this whole uh, missionary endeavor. And uh, it looks at the World Christian Movement through four lenses, through the Bible, through history, through culture, and then finally through strategy. So uh, it's an overview, but it makes it personal. And they're going to be hosting that this <coughs> spring. And I'm down to talk with leaders uh, later this afternoon at the, uh, uh, I guess, the Christian school. What's the name of it? Cascade. Yeah, over there. And uh, you all come if, you, uh, if you'd like. Um, but we're back in the book of Acts. I was listening to your pastor online. And, uh, you know, it's great. You don't have to go to church anymore. You know, you just listen to the pastor. Got to make sure you keep those tithes and offerings coming. But, but, uh, but uh, it's great. Great to hear his uh, teaching uh, and, and uh, how he, he leads. And uh, just been so appreciative. But uh, I thought that uh, since I'm going to, this is going to be a long session. I'm just going to give you a heads up. I think they gave me a couple hours. I don't think I'll use the whole two hours. But I thought, you know, why don't we stand? And read the scriptures together. And if you want to put my slide up there, Michelle, isn't Michelle great? You always want to make uh, best friends with the person that's running the slideshow and the sound. Those, those need to, and, and believe me, you don't have to stand up. God's not going to judge you. Uh, I may. But, uh, but let's read this together. And I love, I get to have a screen here. And uh, so let's see if we can read it together. It's in the NIV. Do you use the NIV here? I'm probably going to step on toes because I said the NIV. All right, here we go. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I may be uh, cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone who looks out for the, uh, their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with men. Uh, did I get off track here? Man, you know, why don't they make those words bigger? All right. 
It was good until I started reading it. Uh, well, uh, okay. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, keep going, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Have a seat. Lord Jesus, thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you that the word is preached here faithfully uh, every week by uh, Pastor Greg. And uh, Lord, thank you for this church that has been around, I guess, for 120 years, uh, proclaiming your word. We, we bless you, Lord, for that. That's not an automatic in this day and age. So I pray, Lord, that this morning your spirit might uh, speak through me and uh, that we would hear from you and that uh, you might transform our lives because of the preaching of your word. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as we come uh, back into this book of Acts, um, this story uh, this morning, uh, you know, we're brought back to this compelling story and uh, where this young church is growing. Uh, the apostle Paul is in prison, okay? He's, he's uh, not wasting time in prison. He's actually writing the prison epistles, and, uh, but he's in prison. So these churches that he started, they are separated from him, and they're concerned. Uh, he's unsure of his own fate, and he's writing to um, very dear friends in, uh, in, in the city of Philippi. And uh, I love the historical background that Pastor Greg gave about the city, so we don't have to go over that. Over that. But this is a church that's very dear to him. He had, uh, you know, he started a number of churches, but uh, the, the, the Philippians, the people in Philippi, were very, very close. Now, he's just been telling them about how Christ emptied himself, that kenosis passage, in the beginning of chapter 2, to do the Father's will. And next he tells them not to grumble. Always a good thing for the pastor to remind people, don't grumble. I need to hear it, <laughs> you know, uh, because so easily we can complain, you know. And, um, and by the way, I, I love having the coffee uh, today. Uh, I, I like a different kind of uh, sweetener, but uh, that, that, far from that. I, I don't want to say anything about that. But... Uh, <laughs> But he says he's, he's teaching them not to grumble, but to follow Christ's example. And now he seems to be telling them of his plans to visit them. So it's a little bit of a setup here. By the way, if you're visiting, trust me, next week is going to be awesome. Your pastor's going to be back. He's been away, what, two weeks? Like, he only works Sundays, but they give him two Sundays off. But um, <laughs> it's going to be great. So, I mean, you know, bear with me, okay? Now, he's kind of setting them up a little bit because he's talking about, uh, you know, plans. I have plans to visit you. Uh, and so you can imagine they'd be all excited about that. <clears throat> but really, he uses this uh, passage of Philippians 2, 19 through 24, to kind of underscore what he's already been talking about. And um, he's going to use two of his dearest fellow laborers in the gospel, Timothy and Epaphroditus, as examples of the kind of Jesus followers that they too should be. Anybody name your kids Timothy? Anybody here? Okay, good. Anybody name your kids Epaphroditus? Okay, I don't know. That's always the way it goes. Um, now, you know, you look at this passage, I was thinking of, uh, you know, talking about perspectives. Um, you can see the biblical, historical, cultural, and strategic implications uh, all played out here. Um, and the fact that 2,000 years later, we can still apply this to our lives. I mean, that's proof in itself that this Bible, this book, is living and active, isn't it? The fact that we can take these things, and it's more than just words, that later on the Lord can remind us, and we can go, 
oh my goodness, I think I learned something this morning. It was a, it was a guest speaker, and, and I learned something. Well, that's because Jesus is at work through this book. Now, when I speak, I like to ask questions. And again, I'm sorry you showed up today. You could have gone uh, visiting somewhere else. Uh, but I, I like to get feedback. If I don't get feedback, I call on people. So I don't want anybody looking down. I want to see eye contact because I, I may need to call on you. Um, and some of the things I, uh, I, I shared this morning, I, I drew from uh, a guy named Warren uh, Berkeley. I want to give credit there. But let's look at this first uh, passage. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Now, you might overlook it, but the phrase, in the Lord, actually occurs nine times in Philippians. When you have repetition in the scriptures, what, what do you tend to think of? Like when you see some uh, phrase repeated, what do, you, what do you think of? It's important. Great. Man, what a smart group this is. You know, we can pass over it so easily, but it's important to note in the Lord is the basis for the trust and confidence that these believers in Philippi felt. Everything they're doing is in the Lord. The Apostle Paul may be in prison, but they can have confidence because their hope is in the Lord. And they can speak his word without fear. Why? Because they are thinking that they're in the Lord. Their lives are being shaped by a kind of a supernatural reality. And now he's planned to send Timothy to them with the idea that after he meets with them, okay, after Timothy meets with them, Timothy's going to come back and tell Paul how they are really doing. So Timothy's really got quite, a, quite an opportunity here. Paul trusts him. He's going to go, and when they see Timothy and they hear about how Paul is really doing, they're going to be encouraged. But then when he comes back, he's going to share with Paul, and then Paul will be encouraged. Now, the prison in Rome is 800 miles from Philippi, okay? I have this incredible, man, there's just nothing like a homemade uh, view of the, of the world. And it looks so good on the screen, and then you put it up here, and it looks like, what, did a first grader do that? But I don't like to say that, because then you're putting down the first graders. But um, anyhow, uh, th that's the distance, okay, from Rome to Philippi, 800 miles. The good thing is in the middle there, he gets to take a, uh, you know, a ferry or a boat, so he can kind of rest his weary legs. Um, now, this is like seven weeks' journey, round trip. So my Google Maps said that it would take me 213 hours if I were to walk following this route. Now the problem is, the Google Map is, uh, it might give me the old uh, map, but Google Maps is for today, okay? So it's probably quite a bit harder. Now I just finished, I know you won't believe this, I just finished my 20th marathon. I started running marathons in uh, uh, 1990. 1991 or something, yeah, 91 I think. And this last uh, October I, I ran uh, my, uh, my last, uh, not my last, but the one that I've most recently, uh, my 20th, in Portland. Uh, my wife wants to give it up, wants me to give it up, but uh, man, you know, there's more, there's more I can do. But I had a hip surgery a year ago and the doctor said no more running. Funny how my wife is really into that. <laughs> the doctor said no more running. Well, I've got to do, so I walk. So, but when I got in the marathon, I actually cheated, and I, uh, I, I kind of jogged, like, the, at least the first half. 
and I try not to tell her that. But uh, now, I did several walks between 20 and 28 miles in training, uh, you know, towards the end. Now, I found that I could walk 28 miles in just over eight hours. I don't like losing my Saturday, so I get up at three and I get my eight hours in. It's pitch black. I got uh, sprayed by a skunk this year, but that's another story. Um, you know, why do those stupid skunks have to be out when it's pitch dark? But, um, but again, I had pristine walking conditions. When I walk and there's no one around out in the country, I'm like, I'm on the road. I'm not walking the sidewalk. I don't want to trip on the cracks on the sidewalk. So I've got pristine walking conditions. Well, if I was able to do eight hours a day, I could probably do this trek, you know, pretty quickly. But this is back then. It's much harder. Now, here's a question for you. What kind of person do you ask to do a favor for you and walk 1,600 miles round trip? That's what Paul is doing here. You know, I'm, I'm telling you, I went through Bible college and seminary. I never think about this stuff. And uh, maybe it's a waste of time for me to even bring it up now. But I think, so he's asking uh, Timothy, hey, you know, I want you to, uh, I want you to, you know, go to Philippi. They didn't have uh, Uber. You know, they didn't have, uh, you know, even bicycles. So Timothy's like, okay, I'm going to walk. 800 miles, I'm going to walk back. Now, what kind, first of all, you know, what kind of person do you ask? But then, what kind of qualities would you want them to have? So this is where I ask you some questions. You're going to ask your friend to walk 1,600 miles. What kind of person do you ask? Just tell me. Tell me some qualities that you want to have in that person. Say it real, real loud. Oh, directional app. Yeah, you're right. They don't have GPS, okay, right? <laughs> Probably don't have a whole lot of roads to choose from. Okay, directional apps too. That wasn't actually first on my list, but uh, praise the Lord. You guys are thinking. Okay, how about another one? So what? Somebody in shape. Yeah, actually, that was, uh, I think that was uh, good physical shape. That was good. Great. Anything else? What, what, what? Boy, this is great. You're really fired up. Uh, who, who? Somebody over here? What? Perseverance. Perseverance. Yes, perseverance. To do the first day and then do all the other days that come after. Right. Okay, something else. Faithful. Yes. Now, I had written down somebody you could trust. Because remember, he can't be like a wreck by the time he gets there. He has to be in good physical shape, but he's got to do what? He's got to deliver a message, right? And then he's got to take notes. I guess he's got to come back. He's got to deliver another message. Now, okay, th this is not in the script, but think about Timothy as a person. What do you know about him? Probably your pastor's been through this, so this is just review. What, what do you remember about Timothy? He's taught the scriptures, right, by his mother and grandmother. What else? He's young? Yep. What else? Do you remember uh, something about take a little something for your, okay. So I'm thinking that he wasn't perhaps always in the best physical shape, possibly, okay. So, but here's somebody that's trusted and dedicated, and Paul is asking him to do this. Now, why would Paul ask him to do this? Why would Timothy agree to do it? Again, I think that the phrase, I hope in the Lord Jesus, is key. I think 
that when you see, when you really dig down and you look at what the people in the first century church did, the only way they could do it is because they did it in the Lord. Have you ever noticed that you can't take things on, but when you do things in the Lord, you can accomplish a lot? Has anybody um, thought about, like, I don't really want to do this, but you pray about it, and then the Lord gives you something in the Lord, the ability. Like some of you are sitting here, and you don't really, you know, you heard the message, you don't really want to take the thing on the angel tree. Eh, let somebody else do that. But, you know, he said, didn't he say, you know, pray about it as it God's will? He was joking, but, you know, sometimes little things, we have to do that. And we find that when we ask the Lord, we suddenly have a shift, and we go, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. It's not like I'm walking 1,600 miles. I can take that angel tree thing. You know, I can get gifts. I might even take them all buy all the gifts. Leave everybody else out in the cold. Don't do that. Yeah. Little background. Timothy's name means one who honors God. He was a native of Lystra. Lystra. Paul and Barnabas had visited in conjunction with the first missionary journey, and it's possible that in that visit, these evangelists to his hometown, Timothy heard and obeyed the gospel. It's probably true that he was led to the Lord by the apostle Paul. And then he was raised to respond to God's word, as a gentleman said, uh, by his mother and his grandmother. And it seems like Paul had a real heart for this young man. And he wanted to help this uh, young man uh, to develop into a faithful Christian, a gospel preacher. So Timothy became Paul's son in the faith. That's why he talks about the son and the father. Now, Paul's faith in Christ is connected to Paul's desire to send Timothy. His own faith in Christ gives him the gall, you might say, to ask the impossible of Timothy. When you believe in Christ, your confidence in him compels you to rely on others who place their confidence in him. How many of you, when you want to do uh, some kind of work, you look for someone who's serious in their faith? Why? Because you know you can count on them. And we take it for granted. The people that are following Christ, they're trustworthy, and they're honest, and they're a lot like Timothy. Well, let's take uh, this one verse at a time here, a couple verses, verses 20 and 21. He says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. That's why I got that uh, unique, uh, you know, title for the sermon. No one like Timothy. Got it from that verse right there. He says, for everyone looks out for their own interests, but not the interests of Jesus Christ. Any, any of you have friends like this that, that, that show a genuine concern for you personally? Any of you have friends like that? Okay, one guy. Okay, great. Well, uh, you need to get more friends. Um, you know, I was going through a challenging time a couple of years ago, and um, uh, some friends of mine who live many miles away, whom we don't see, they phoned. They just felt like they needed to check in. I got another friend. I'm going to see him tomorrow, Doug Hazen. He's another friend that's so concerned and care. We, we pray together regularly over the phone. Well, I think Timothy was sensitive to Paul and to others in that way. I think when people talk with Timothy, he, they knew that he was caring for them. You know, you've heard that old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You ever heard that? Yeah. And I think this is what you know, they would look at Timothy and they say, well, we know he cares for you, so we're going to trust him for anything that comes out of his mouth. 
He was a young preacher who knew uh, what he was talking about, but he also cared about who he was talking to. And I've often watched people who, would, who appear to be gifted not get as far as the people who maybe look on the outside to be less gifted, but those people care for people. It's, it's really amazing, you know, to see people like they, you know, they don't look like they, they should be doing what they're doing, and other people seem like they're more gifted. But sometimes when people care for other people, they're giving, given a much greater, um, you know, uh, license and freedom to do things simply because people know they can trust them. Um, you may have heard about the professor teaching doctors in a, in a school of uh, medicine. And, uh, you know, you've got a lot of people that are pretty highly motivated, high, high achievers, and so they all want to ace the uh, final exam. And one of the exam questions was, name the name of the cleaning lady that you pass every day on your way to class. He's underscoring that good medicine starts with being aware of the people around you and caring, have a genuine concern, not just because you want to get that question right on a test, but you care for people. Those who seek their own are a dime a dozen. You don't have to look around too far to find people who are self-seeking. And that's, uh, you know, we know that's the attitude of the world. Self-seeking has always been the root, uh, the root of sin. Paul's confidence in Timothy includes his awareness that Timothy wasn't like everybody else, was he? He was rare because of the activity of his faith in Christ. He was not the kind of man who just looked out for his own interests. Timothy was the kind of person who did not seek his own interests, but according to the last verse in verse 21, he talks about the things which are of Christ Jesus. Well, what are the things of Christ Jesus? Respecting and glorifying the Creator, appreciating and being a recipient of His grace, learning, obeying His truth, teaching and helping others towards God, rejecting the appeal of the world by embracing and participating in the things that are holy and right and eternal. Those are the interests of Christ Jesus. These things Timothy had on his mind every day, and he was therefore motivated, not to serve himself, but devoted to the interests of Jesus Christ, and that's why Paul sent him. I have a friend, Tom Cole, and uh, in fact, we're in a Bible study together on Friday mornings, and, uh, but he's somebody who loves sharing Jesus. He was a, uh, he was a uh, court judge in Washington County appointed by the governor, but uh, he really loves Christ, and uh, I'm with him. He's always looking for an opportunity to talk about Jesus, and uh, I find that I want to be around him. I want to be around people that uh, find that they're looking for those opportunities. And the whole premise of our meeting on Friday mornings is he always asks us, okay, guys, how'd it go this week? And a lot of times it's real quiet, you know? And sometimes Friday morning I'm kind of brain dead, and if I've had opportunities, I can't think of them until later in the day, and I go, rats, I could have shared that, you know? But, um, but it's great to be in that kind of a setting where there's a little bit of accountability and amazing things that happen when people are just uh, going through their week. Years ago, my friend Tom, his daughter was murdered, which gave him an even greater measure of care for others. I think if we were to talk with Tom, he was a judge, he was used to being in charge. Um, I don't know that his heart was as tender towards people as it was when his daughter was murdered. 
Well, a couple of years afterwards, and I was actually in a, in a couple's Bible study with him not long after it happened, and so I saw his emotions and brokenness. And, but a couple of years later, we wrote a book about the experience called uh, uh, Megan, Losing Megan in hopes that he could encourage others. But you know what this led to? He thought, well, I, I would like to get into places. And uh, what it led to is he today has already established, but he raised up, uh, he's retired now, he raised up a, um, a nonprofit, a Christian nonprofit called Paid in Full. He's establishing an accredited Bible seminary through Corbin University in the Oregon State Prison System. It's absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing that the Department of Justice, Department of Corrections, uh, saw, heard this and saw this. They, they got to know Tom, and they said, we've got to do that here in Oregon. It's, it's an unbelievable story of faith. You probably wouldn't, you know, you'd never read about it or see it on the news. Um, and about six weeks ago, the first class of 26 student inmates started. Now, it all began because the Lord had tenderized Tom's heart to be on the lookout of others in need. And I was at a convocation here a few weeks ago there with these, uh, you know, we've been praying with Tom and to meet these actual students, they're, they're just like you and me. They're just, they're dressed in, uh, you know, dungarees and stuff, but they're, ju they're just, just like us. And uh, it, was, it was incredible to be there. This started because he had a concern and a care for people. Now, I don't know anyone else like my friend Tom Cole, and in the same way, the Apostle Paul didn't know anyone else like Timothy. He was one of a kind. And you know what? You also are one of a kind. God wants to use you in your gifts just the way you are. Well, he goes on, verse 22, But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with a father he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Now think about this. Knowledge can be acquired and remembered. By the way, the, the prisoners that are going through this uh, system, they're not all believers. There's, uh, I think, a Buddhist, maybe a Hindu, a couple of atheists. So uh, they were kind of randomly chosen, but they had to go through this whole process of, uh, you know, filling out an application, writing an essay as to why they wanted to be part of this. But now they're going to be under the teaching of the Word of God, and, uh, and God's going to begin to work in their lives. But so we can acquire knowledge, and, um, and we can remember it. Um, we can associate with good people, and that can be claimed and documented. But character has to be proven. It's proven by our daily behavior. And as that behavior becomes consistent, it's clear that the person has character. You watch people over a period of time, and, uh, and then you know that they have character. Character is who you are on the inside, including your thoughts, your motives, your will, your caring and affection. There must be knowledge to form and guide character, but character is more than just knowledge. It's the personal application of knowledge. You know all this. It, it shows itself in consistent daily behavior. <clears throat> Paul trusted Timothy because of his proven character, because he'd seen him day in, day out, how he acts and how he reacts. And each one of us should be involved with God and his word, um, with, with the same kind of purpose. I know I've been reading the Bible through, the one Bible uh, through the year thing uh, for years. I've got different versions every year. I choose a different uh, version, but I, I want to be in the Word every day to just um, stay close to the Lord and to be better able to understand what the Lord has for me 
Now, it includes everything observed about Timothy in his uh, passage, his sincere care, the devotion to Christ, and the willingness to be sent and used in the cause of Christ. Proven character should be emerging in us uh, a little more every day. And I say emerging because we can never say in this life we've arrived. And I think about even the angels in heaven. They're always learning about God, even in that state. Um, and so, you know, unless you're God, you're always learning. You're always developing. You're always emerging. So Paul says to the church of Philippi, here's the man for the job. Here's the preacher that I trust. One thing, I, uh, like I said about our men's Bible study on Friday morning, is that we talk openly about our failures and how we blow it. In fact, when I hear one of my brothers, including my friend Tom, talk about how they've missed the mark, rather than cause me to think less of them, I find that I have even more respect for them. You find that too? When somebody admits that they're, they've made a mistake, they're struggling, they've blown it, you have more respect of them because they're able to admit it. Now, this is authenticity, and it's about being genuine. You can trust people who are honest about their flaws and mistakes. Do you have friends like that? Are you that kind of person? Isn't it freeing when you can be open about who you really are? Here's kind of a creepy uh, verse. John 12, 4 through 6. Remember Judas Iscariot said, um, oh, we, we shouldn't use this money. It could have been given to the poor. Remember that? When you read that, Gives you the creeps, doesn't it? Why? Because he was a thief. He didn't care for the poor. He loved money more than the poor. Imagine, you know, all of us probably fake stuff from time to time, but imagine three years living with Jesus and faking care, faking sincerity. I think Jesus could see right through him, and he can see through us too. We want to have proven character. We want to be consistent in our daily walks. Well, Timothy was very versatile, and he was a fellow proclaimer of the gospel along with Paul. And Paul is wanting to know of his own future and what his fate is going to be. And as soon as he finds that out from the Roman authorities, then he will send Timothy off to tell the church in Philippi who, who pray for his welfare. Uh, and then he says, you know, I'm going to hopefully be following soon after Timothy. Now, here's a thought. Parents, if you're impressed by Timothy, if you admire how he developed and you see the value of his proven character and you're raising your children, listen to this out of uh, 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Um, that's how you uh, raise uh, kids that are going to be like Timothy when they grow up. Uh, coming down, uh, my office, I've known Luis Palau, uh, like Pastor said, uh, since 1978. We've been friends, and I think I was the youngest uh, crusade director back in the day overseas, but uh, my office today is in the Luis Palau headquarters, and they have chapel every Wednesday. This last Wednesday, I was in Phoenix. I missed chapel, and Luis was speaking. He doesn't speak that often anymore, and I said, man, get me that link. I, I want to listen to it as I drive down to uh, Medford, 
So I was listening to it in the car, and it was funny because he, uh, he's just been asked to speak at uh, Mount Hermon and do a whole, uh, I think he said five uh, sermons in uh, like three days or something. And um, he's got a lot of preparation to do, but I think he's going to be in 2 Timothy. Now what he said, and that I didn't, um, I didn't realize, because we tend to look at the Bible kind of flat. We don't see, in a way, the terrain and, uh, and everything. He said that actually 2 Timothy was the Apostle Paul's uh, last uh, epistle that he wrote. So what re we're reading about in Acts is Timothy as a young man. What we're reading in 2 Timothy, am I right, Pastor? Just agree. Yeah, 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 okay. Um, I mean, he knows, he knows all this stuff. He, he knows more than I'll, he forget, you know, whatever. He knows more. But uh, he, he said, you know, this was written in Timothy's old age. And if you look at it, and I've never really seen it this way, Paul is exhorting Timothy, remember the things that you did when you were young. Do that stuff. It's almost like um, a challenge to, to re-up again. And so if you think from reading in the book of Acts that Timothy was this perfect soldier, you know, Paul says, hey, uh, Timothy, uh, did you get the memo? Yeah, I want you to, you know, go to Philippi, walk, walk there and back, 1,600 miles. You're good. You're in shape. Um, okay, he did it. But then it kind of would indicate that maybe... Timothy, as he got older, was kind of, um, you know, lax or whatever, and maybe some of those things that he had done when he was young, uh, he got a little rusty, he didn't do them quite, and here's the Apostle Paul saying, Timothy, wake up, do those things, and I think it's a good word for us. We may have had a time when we were more active in ministry, and we had, uh, you know, more things going on, and now we're older, we're not maybe being asked to do the things that we used to, and uh, we might, uh, you know, feel like, well, uh, it's not that important, you know. It's not that important to share Christ. not that important to, you know, maybe read the Bible every single day. Uh, you know, I got aches and pains. And, uh, oh, yeah, the pastor doesn't want me to be grouchy. Yeah, you know, you have those kind of things going on. But uh, it's great to, to realize that we're all human. And uh, it's okay to lapse. You know, it's okay because we're human. It's okay to be reminded that we're human. But it's also okay to say, you know what, Lord, I receive that, and I, I need your help. Not, not, I need to do better. Not, I need to work harder. No, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I surrender myself to you afresh. I want to do everything in my life in the Lord. Help me. Help me in these places that I've, I've lacked uh, and I've, I've fallen behind. So, you want to raise a Timothy? Start early. Enable them to learn the Scripture and be certain that they see the Scripture applied in you. And that's at every age and stage of life. Um, be the mother and the grandmother that Timothy had. Well, I'm actually going to wrap up. I think I'm about an hour early. But uh, I'm going to wrap up uh, after the 10th person fell asleep. I thought, yeah, you know, I probably ought to cut it down. And I, t I told everybody, get coffee, you know, you're going to need it. But uh, how much time have I, have I gone, already gone an hour and a half? Okay. Oh, yeah, almost an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. By way of a wrap-up, and he needs to be back in the pulpit next week, and somebody else needs to be on the front row, like, just, just saying. All right. Let's go to that last, uh, next to the last. Okay, why did Paul think Timothy was one of a kind? 
Okay, here's some just reminders to wrap up. First, he was willing to be sent. Timothy was willing to be sent. And this is important. You know, the kind of missionaries that go on the field are not the people that kind of show up and go, I've been called to be a missionary. Will you support me? No. You want people like Brad and Sarah who have been around and you get to see them. Now, I know the church that, that sent Brad and Sarah out. It's a tiny little church, Helvetia Community Church. And uh, they had sent so many people out on the field. And, um, but missionaries that want to go on the field that feel called, they get in, involved with, uh, with the church. They do all kinds of stuff that the church needs, like child care and, and uh, you know, helping in Sunday school and things like that. And then the people say, you know what? We see these qualities in you, and we are proud. We're so thrilled that we have the privilege of sending you because you're the real deal. You're just like Paul saying about Timothy, uh, this is the man that I want to send. So Timothy was willing to be sent. He's willing for others to examine him and see that he was the kind of person that they would want sent. He was an honest reporter. He was full of cheer. Paul says, man, you know, when you come back, you will cheer me up when you give me the good news. So he was full of cheer, uh, and he was honest. He, he knew, Paul knew that he was going to get the straight scoop. He was going to say, yeah, the church is doing well, but you know, there's a little tension with this person. These two people are arguing. You know, Paul wanted to hear that stuff so he would know how to pray for them. He cared deeply. We, we talked about that genuinely. He sold out to Christ above his own welfare. He has proven character. He's proven his character among them. And uh, he proclaimed the good news in partnership with Paul. You know, when you, uh, when you partner up, like sometimes churches and mission organizations partner up to proclaim the gospel, there's a great bond that takes place because of that, that, you know, that opportunity to preach the gospel. Mission Connection, we partner with uh, a number of churches. And uh, I'm always so thrilled, not, you know, not because they send us money, but, but, because, they, but because I feel like they, they, they are with us wanting to be connected in the proclamation of the gospel as we uh, do that through Mission Connection. Well, now, why is Timothy important to us? So let's talk about that. First of all, see that blue arrow? That means it's important. Church kids rule. How many times do church kids get the bad rap? They go to youth group, they're faithful, they come week after week, and who do we bring in to sometimes speak to the youth? The guy that was on drugs, the guy that was all messed up, and uh, he, he finally found Jesus and turned his life around, and all the kids go, wow, wow, like I want to be like him. Really? Really? You want to be like that guy? Now, those guys that are like that, the spiritual ones, they, they don't want to glorify what they've done in the past, but they're just telling a testimony. This is what I was. I had no hope. I didn't grow up in a good home, and I didn't go to church. But Jesus found me, and that, you know, we should all rejoice about that. But sometimes I feel like, you know, the, the, the kids that grow up in the church, like Timothy, they, you know, it's like it's boring. You know, I never had anything exciting happen in my life. But it's amazing. You know as parents, you look at those kids and you're proud of them. They, they may not feel like they're anything, but because you see them week after week. Michelle holding the, you know, doing the slides back there. She's the one that has to stay awake the most this morning. I'm sorry about that. You know, she said she, you know, he's grown up at the church. Jeff had, him, uh, had her in his youth group. Don't want to say anything about Jeff's age, but, you know, that's pretty cool. And then I guess going back 120 years, this church has been around. And so you've had a lot of generations 
to, to observe and see who were the ones that were getting it when they were young. And those people kind of raise up and hopefully they're being asked to do things uh, because of their faithfulness. So, number one, we need to be nurturing the young people who are trustworthy and care deeply for others' welfare. My question is, do you know who they are? Some of you older ones. Do you know who they are? You might see them come in. You might not know their name, but you know, wow, these kids come every week with their parents, and they, uh, they're growing. So you need to know who they are by name. Second one, who enjoys bringing Jesus into conversations? That, to me, is a proclaimer. You know, I think about these guys on Friday morning of the Bible study. They, you know, they talk about the conversations that they have with workers at Intel or whatever. And, uh, and I, I love it. I love hearing these stories. And, um, but, you know, it's not getting up in a pulpit and proclaiming the good news. But it's just, when do we bring Jesus into the conversations that we have, the ordinary conversations with our workmates and so forth? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, I, I'm a chicken. I love sharing Jesus. But when I'm in this situation, I have to really ask the Lord to help me. And... A lot of times, especially like sitting on a plane, the person next to me, I'm like, okay, Lord, you know I love you. You know I want to share Jesus. I don't want to force it. But, Lord, if it's possible, help me to be able to share Christ with this person. And a lot of times what I find is I say that prayer and I leave it with the Lord, but then I just have a curiosity about people. I love meeting uh, interesting people. And many times everybody you sit next to, there's something interesting about every single person you meet. And I find that my curiosity draws me into talking with a person. And then next thing I hear Jesus coming off my lips and I go, man, Lord, you did it again. That's so awesome. Now, when the people put their headphones on or they get, bring out the movie, I don't like poke them and say, hey, I got to talk to you. I don't, I probably should do that, but uh, I don't. I'm annoying enough uh, without, uh, you know, adding to it. But um, I would say if you know, uh, especially young people who really are, are good at, at, at bringing up Jesus in conversations. Put them into different settings. Put them in settings where they can use that ability and that gift because all of us, no matter what age we are, we would be blessed by a young person, watching a young person talking about Jesus. Uh, I hadn't put this in my notes, but I was working for Luis Palau in London. And uh, because I was part of the Palau team, these churches would invite me to speak. So this, this, this church invited me to come and teach the young people about sharing their faith. I said, well, if I do it, we're going to have a practical activity to really put it to test. And they said, oh, yeah. And the leaders were like, oh, yeah, 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 we'll do that. So I come. We go through this training for the day. And before we ate lunch, I said, okay, guys, now this is what we're going to do. We're going to go out to the tube, the train. Anybody been to London? Ever been on the tube? Okay. We, we, we're going to go out in the tube, and I want you guys to pair up along the track. And when you get on the tube... One person be the person sharing their faith with the other person. The other person, you know, just listen. You know, act like you're someone that doesn't, never heard the, you know, the testimony before. And I said, we're going to go five stops. We're going to get off at this stop here. We're going to cross over the tracks. We're going to come back. And then you switch roles. And the person that, uh, you know, was the, uh, you know, the, like the non-believer, they're going to share their testimony coming back. Well, I'll tell you, you would have thought that I uh, told these kids I, I was going to kill them. And, you know, you laugh, but, you know, you'd be the same way. Like, oh, my goodness, like, I didn't sign up for this. I'm happy for some crazy American to come and, you know, teach us, which we do all day long. We never actually do. 
And uh, so I said, so we, we all jumped in the vans, and we're driving out there, and it was like, you know, they're, they're going to their death, you know. And uh, they lined up along the, the platform, and we got on, and I did it too, and, uh, and we went. Now, when that train, when that tube got to the stop where we got off, I'm telling you, you never saw kids that were more transformed in their lives. They got off, and they were like skipping and jumping and yelling, and like they were going crazy. And they got on the other, and the guys that got on the other side, and all I told them was, I said, look it, you're going to have to be loud enough so that other people on the train can hear what you're saying. Well, that's not too hard on the tube, because everybody is as quiet. I mean, you know, the British are quiet, you know. You know, you, you get an introvert American, he's still going to be louder than the average Brit. And so it's not like a big deal. They get on the train, but, you know, that idea that they got to speak loud enough to be heard by the other people on the train, well, as an American, I knew that wouldn't be difficult. But these are kids, you know. Well, when we got to the end of the stop and we piled back in the van to go back to the church, these kids were, like, fired up. They would not be quiet. They were just yakking, like, look at this, and did you see the expression on the person's face, blah, blah, blah. So we got back to the church, and I seriously had to go, you know, shut up! <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to say that, but I did, you know. And it's like, okay, we're going to have lunch. Be quiet. We're going to have lunch. I want to hear, like, how you, you know. One little girl, honestly, she's like this high, this tiny little thing. She says, oh, man, I'm so excited. I'm so bummed that my, uh, my best friends were not here today. And she says, I'm going to take them out. And we're going to go out on a double-decker bus, and I'm going to do with them what we just did on the tube. And that was the beginning of this whole thing. About six months later, <clears throat> before the um, actual the crusade meeting, I got invited to go back there because there was a baptism of young people at this church. And those kids had gone out, and they'd shared with their, their friends just their testimony. And many of the kids... I think a few came to Christ, and then a few were going to be baptized. And I went, that's amazing. It's not that I'm amazing. It's not that the kids are amazing. It's that the, the gospel has the power to transform, and all we have to do is speak it. It doesn't have to be, you know, any big deal. It's just like you just share it. Do you know those kids in your church here who have that ability? Involve them in various kinds of settings so that people can see how to do it. Finally, we need to identify, raise up, and send out workers. And they're already among us right here. God wants, he wants your best and your brightest from First Baptist Church in Medford to go to the mission field. That's the greatest game in town for eternity. 